Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free. So I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 125. In today's episode, I interview fitness and Jedi master, Tony Janelcore. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to learn all about Tony's writing process, using a 90-10 principle in the gym, and discussion for all positions of spinal movement. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have Tony Gentlecore. Tony, first question I ask everybody uh, who comes on the show is, uh, share with us the highlights of your health journey up to this point. Oh, man. Uh, you got me off guard there, Nick. All right. Excellent. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a strength guy. I'm a strength coach. So uh, my personal journey is is getting strong and that is subjective like what's strong to me is different from what's strong to somebody else uh you know i'm kind of partial to the deadlift <laughs> so um you know i'm very close to hitting a three times body weight deadlift um you know in conjunction with being a new a new dad so i think that's, that's kind of cool that's important so like that that's got, an important distinction to bring I up i got to maintain yeah. i got to maintain the dad strength so uh, cuz that is a real thing i've i've come to find out so um, i think that is uh, kind of like the, my my one bragging right in uh, <laughs> strength conditioning community is that uh, having a a three times body weight deadlift which by all means is not world record level or you know elite power lef- powerlifting level or anything but um, you know i think it's pretty cool so um, yeah that would be my the one that pops off at the top of my head well, what what got you? Uh, why the deadlift so much? I mean, I, I actually agree with you. Like, I just love pulling. I mean, in yeah. any manner. But what what is it about the deadlift that kind of really sets that you know, apart for you? I think selfishly, I'm good at it. <laughs> you know, so I, I have good leverage. I have good leverages for. It. I got really long arms, uh, which kind of helps with deadlifting. Um, I think it's the one lift that it's it's literally you versus the bar. Uh, you can't cheat a deadlift. I mean, you can make a deadlift look really shitty um, and get the bar off the ground, which, you know, if you get it off the ground, lock it out, you get it off the ground and lock it out regardless of how it looks. Um, but I think what I, what I, what I like about the deadlift is it's very much, 
either the bar is coming off the ground and you're locking it out or, or it's not. So, um, I kind of like that flavor to the deadlift where it's, it's, you know, it sounds very, um, um, warrior esque, but it's you versus the bar. And, uh, I like to, I'd like to say that I win more than I lose, uh, with, with regards to that. But, uh, I mean, certainly there's other stuff I lose at, uh, but that would be, that to me is kind of like the, a very, my, my, my very, uh, reductionist, uh, approach to the deadlift uh, and kind of why I've gravitated to it in the, in the past and now. This is good. Cause actually some talking about the deadlifts was, I, I've read some of your articles, like listening to you talk about it before. So this was some of the things that I wanted to talk about and yeah, cool. I'm, I'm curious and so let's go into this a little bit further. Like uh, maybe for yourself or just like for people that you work with, like what are some of the things then you see, uh, what are, what are some of like the biggest bang for your buck things you can do for a deadlift? And what are the kind of things where it's like, all right, stop doing this. This is actually hurting probably your progress. Right. So to me, a big pet peeve of mine is when I get on the internet and it's really, and I understand it's the internet. It's kind of the cesspool <laughs> of, of everyone's, uh, id, id and ego. Um, but I, I really, and flabbergasted that people, particularly you know, professionals like physical therapists and chiropractors, and maybe even some strength coaches and personal trainers who just may not know any better, um, that like, oh, the deadlift is dangerous. I, you know, and they kind of chastise uh, any other fitness professional that might write an article on it or a blog post or you know some random comment in some forum explaining their journey with the deadlift and like whether it's their personal journey or you know some kind of uh, thing they've done with a client or an athlete. It's like, oh, look at this cool thing my client did or my athlete did. It's, it's deadlift. And they're like, oh, well, I, I never have any of my clients do that because it's so dangerous and the deadlift is dangerous. You should avoid it. And, no, I get it. It's, you know, far be it for me to tell another person what to do with their client. Like, they're the one that's with them in person, coaching them, assessing them, gauging progress. Like, that's fine. Um, but I think a big mistake a lot of people make with the deadlift is they're, they're assuming when I talk about the deadlift that I'm, I'm, there's a loaded barbell on the ground, it's super heavy and that's a deadlift. And that is not, uh, necessarily what I'm referring to. So, you know, there, there's a, a, there's a spectrum and what I, what I love about the deadlift is it is very much, um, easily gauged to the ability level of the lifter. Uh, the goals of the lifter, because uh, I mean, really, there's only two people in the population that need to to deadlift a straight bar off the ground, and that is a competitive power lifter and uh, an Olympic lifter. Uh, if outside of that population, you don't have to use a, a straight bar for the deadlift, and it doesn't that's, have to be. Heavy. That's an interesting concept. No, thank you for bringing it up, and I want to yeah. highlight this for people because, like. I'm a physical therapist too, and it's the bend pattern, the hinge pattern, the deadlift, whatever you yeah, want to call it. But yeah. everybody has to do it to some degree. But like you said, it doesn't always have to be. And I think this is a really important part: is it doesn't have to be with the straight bar. It can be nope. a million and one different forms. So, yeah, exactly. Sorry, please continue on that because that's so an I think awesome we should, point. I think we should give each other a high five right there now. Go. High five. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's that's very true, and that's that's kind of a mantra that I that I use a lot and that the hip hinge is a deadlift and the deadlift is a hip hinge. You know, I, I often make a joke that it's Einkel, uh, Einkel is Einhorn, Einhorn, or Finkel is Einhorn, Einhorn is Finkel. <laughs> you know, so I make the Ace Ventura reference yeah. to that. So most people get it. Um, but that, that is exactly right. Like to me, a deadlift could be a pull through, a cable pull through. 
a lot of times it's going to start with a kettlebell deadlift or or if i have to really reverse things it's just a body weight hip hinge and we got to we're dissociating lumbar movement from hip movement that is a deadlift you know with a with a neutral spine core is on i want motion to come from the hips not the lower back uh, and i'm going to find out the most successful way i can get somebody to do that because whether you whether you think it's dangerous or not everyone deadlifts every day <laughs> in everyday life you know they, they pick stuff off the ground they reach and they put things into a car you're just talking about being um, a dad again same thing like you're bending yeah. down to pick that your boy oh girl God, up yeah. i mean like think about it like it's all of these patterns are happening yeah. constantly yeah so the deadlift is not dangerous and we could make an argument that it, it is the most quote-unquote functional exercise out there um, because it is a, a pattern that you're going to see in everyday life outside of the gym um, and then from there, any responsible coach or personal trainer will hopefully be assessing an individual to figure out where is their starting point. So, you know, we, we re- unfortunately, going back to the original point, people will think deadlift, straight bar, loaded, heavy, off the ground. That is like the most advanced variation of the deadlift there is. Somebody's point A might be, again, a cable pull through, a bodyweight hip hinge, a kettlebell, a trap bar, uh, that, and then, and then we just progress them accordingly. So, um, that's kind of like my, uh, <laughs> approach to deadlifting. Uh, and it's just a pet peeve of mine. Like I, I, I find it frustrating. So it is, it, it is always nice to speak to a physical therapist who gets it. Um, and I get it. Like you're, you're dealing with people who are often dealing with pain and are injured and are a little bit gun shy with movement, but you know, it'd be remiss for us not to, highlight the fact that physical therapy is movement and a lot of times we need to incorporate load and repetition and then when when somebody gets to it speed in order to get a better movement pattern so um no i so i I think it's lovely when i can speak to uh, a physical therapist or a chiropractor or a manual therapist or athletic trainer or whatever and they they kind of understand that 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 crossing of the bridge between the physical therapy world and the strength and conditioning world because there there's a lot of overlap there and there has to be because with the way that the model set up now like people can only go to physical therapy for so long very sure. rarely does their insurance cover i mean for them to be able to continue to go uh, a lot of times like they still need to continue strengthening and it's at a certain point it's like okay they need to see somebody else because they still need coaching at this point uh, because they're still coming out of cleaning up movement patterns because it still takes thousands of reps to redo that. And we might not be able to progress to a load. Oh, it might willing on a long term. We might get eight weeks. Right. Uh, and to get something like that, it's like, okay, this is cool. We can still do a lot of stuff, but they still need to get stronger and progress that. So that's where that integration comes into play. Uh, and yeah, to, it, for me, it's frustrating. Like when I, when I speak with physicians sometimes too, and that's where yeah, I kind of that's a big one. To. It's like they'll say, "Well, yeah, no bending for six weeks." It's like, okay, so they're literally going to stand up that entire time, right? Because there's no other way. They can't get in bed. Then they can't do it. Like, yeah, yeah it's impossible. Uh, but here, okay. So another thing that I want to talk about because I think you're going to give some good insight in this. I, I've talked to people about it and. What is what are your thoughts? And I'm sure there are going to be different stipulations on a neutral spine versus going through flexion, through extension, like getting a spine through uh, increased ranges of motion, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be completely unloaded, mild loads, heavy loads, whatever you think there. 
So the question is, or just what are my thoughts on that in general? I'm just curious, yeah, to hear what, yeah. How, how you do um, that, how you go about it, uh, maybe yeah. for yourself, for others that you work with too. Yeah, yeah. there's been there's it's kind of like a, a the the it's a paradigm. So there there and there's a progression that I think a lot of people on my side of the fitness industry, strength training or strength and conditioning, personal training, kind of go through. Uh, it's kind of like we start with reading McGill's work uh, and like anti-flexion. Are, and like the mechanisms of flexion and how there's a lot of correlation and research to back up that repeated flexion and extension uh, can lead to disbulging, uh, disc herniations, et cetera. Um, and that is absolutely true. Like certainly we see it all the time. I mean, people have aberrant motor patterns, whether it's repetitive flexion, repetitive extension, um, lateral, whatever. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, their spine eventually flips on the middle finger and they're like, all right, we're done, <laughs> right? Um and, you know, I am, yes, I mean, that I love McGill's work. And I think anyone who's read his books, I, it's phenomenal. It's helped the industry tenfold and getting people healthier and moving better. And, uh, you know, but it's also funny, too, because I, I myself, I've seen it personally with, with, with clients I've worked with. Uh, and I've talked with other uh, strength coaches and fitness professionals who have seen, like, this anti-flexion where somebody hurts their back inflection so then what do we do for months on end we avoid all any and all flexion at all costs we avoid it and i and believe me there there is a, a point in the beginning where we need to kind of teach people where to get pain-free motion so be able to like get in a, a spinal position that is quote-unquote neutral um and then be able to move pain-free you know we have to figure out what exacerbates their issues get rid of that and then clean it up and that very well might involve a lot of flexion. Like people who have flexion and intolerant backs uh, need to avoid flexion for, in order, in order and, and might need more extension. But then uh, it, a funny thing happens is like a lot of people, and I, and I see the, I've, I saw it a lot in my previous facility. So I, I worked at Cressy Sports Performance for eight years. Um, and I tended to work with a lot of people who were more of like the extension based side of the equation, baseball players, rotational athletes, meatheads who they're, they're not doing a lot of, they're not sitting at a desk all day. They're not, um, they're doing, they're, they're, they live in a little bit more extension. Um, so that's a whole nother thing that we're dealing with, but still people, they avoid flexion and then they get stuck in extension and then they get extension based back pain. And we just missed the, the, the conversation where the spine is allowed to move. Um, it is important for it to experience flexion. It is important to it for it to experience extension, and the, and to stay out of those end ranges and 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 not get hurt. So a lot of times, you know, when I'm working with someone with flexion-based back pain, you know, and that's like your general office workers, and and I get them a lot. It is teaching, okay, neutral spine. But then a lot of times, it, I get a lot of people coming in like they've avoided flexion at all costs, and now they're in extension-based back pain because they've avoided flexion. So then it's like, okay, now we gotta do some like cat camels and we gotta re reintegrate um, that movement into their everyday, in, in a controlled setting and make sure it's pain-free and they're doing it well. Um, and then I guess long story short, it's just like the spine's supposed to move. Um, under load is a different story. Uh, you know, certainly I'm not gonna have someone load a barbell on their back or pick a barbell off the ground and I, and I don't want to see, see the scared cat, like, rounded back uh, deadlift or, or squat. 
Um, so certainly I'm going to, I'm going to intervene and, and fix that. But I think unloaded flexion, unloaded extension, you know, we, we need to realize that the spine is allowed to move. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of trainers and like they see somebody even attempt flexion and they start hyperventilating into a brown paper bag and it's like no, it's okay. Like you know, the spine's okay. We we, we it's actually good. It's, it's good spinal hygiene. Using a, a term from McGill to be able to explore that movement um, and then and then but doing it in a matter that of course is pain free. Sorry for that long-winded answer. I, I know I went off on a couple different diatribes. So no, that's perfect because that's that's what I kind of expected to hear and that's what i like to hear like is you're, you're not locked into it's like well no it just has to be a neutral like that's the only way no there's going to be so many other movements because never when we're moving well i shouldn't say never but rarely uh like just when you're doing normal day activities is your spine going to completely stay in neutral anyway we talked about sitting we talked about standing like it's going through these and if you're not able to express those movements properly now you're going to be in a lot more problems uh just from doing that then too yeah and I think a, a, a big reason why I think it's, it's advantageous for people to learn to get into compromising positions and to feel that and to be able to self-correct. Um, you know, I think I don't my I don't expect every rep of every set to be immaculate. Uh, you know, certainly there's when I'm coaching someone, there's there's a, a percentage that I'm comfortable with where they might lose their, their back position a little bit on a deadlift. And as long as I don't think they're going to hurt themselves, I'm like, I'll let it, I'll let it fly. Like I'm not, I don't want to be like, no, put it down. Like, you know, it's like they have to, they have to experience a compromising position in order to learn what that feels like, but then also to differentiate between that. So that, so they understand like, okay, that's not ideal. This is better. Uh, and I think that's important. Um, so, you know, certainly do no harm is kind of like rule number one of any fitness professional, but I also feel there's, there's a certain de degree of the, the health and fitness population where, you know, we, we tend to keep our clients and our athletes in this like little bubble where they're not able to experience like heavy shit, um, in compromising positions. And I think that's bad. Like, I think, you know, this, you know, I always joke that lifting weights isn't supposed to tickle and, you know, that, that. <laughs> And that, and like we, the whole idea of exercising, because like I, you probably agree, like you see all these articles, oh, squat, stretch this, deadlift, stretch that, the back, the knees, the whatever. They hope they're stressing. That's, so. that's the whole point of lifting <laughs> weights is to, is to stress the body. So if your argument is that you avoid these movements because they quote unquote stress the body, then what the hell are we doing? Like that's, that's the whole point of adaptation is to stress the body. So in a safe manner, you know, like that's. Again, it's, that, that's the whole point of being a coach is like, you know, you know, do no harm, but yeah, elicit a training effect for your clients and athletes. Well, no, and that's where it's, like you said, okay, maybe start off first three reps are perfect. Like if you're going for five rep max on something, who knows, whatever it is. Like yeah. first three reps, like got to be dead on. Fourth one, fifth one, maybe a little bit off. But when you're also starting to progress to go heavier and heavier weights, hopefully you've built up that you can be strong in all of those positions yeah. now too. It's like, that's why I like pulling, um, like standing up on blocks, something like that, pulling from a snatch grip. Like if we're talking about the deadlift still, uh, that's why I like doing Atlas stones. I mean, all these things, but it's the same kind of concept. I'm not going to go. And if you're deadlifting, if somebody deadlifts 400 pounds, well, don't have them go and now round, like step up on a five, six inch box and do a deadlift at the same weight. No, drop back down, get that used to being strong under those 
a little bit maybe more flex positions, a little more extended positions. I mean, whatever you're going to modify, but yep. you can still always do it. It's just, yeah, you're looking to put stress on different types of yeah. the body. And that's yeah. what it is. You're not looking to just like completely keep it in a, a, a unstressed state. It just, it, does, I, it doesn't I make sense. And yeah. I think, uh, um, you know, in the, in the nutrition world, they always talk about that 90% rule, like 90%, you know, as long as you hit that 90% mark, as far as like clean meals or hitting your macros or eating, whatever, whatever the, it is, you know, that 10% of the time you're, you're good. So that's your cheat meals or going off your diet. Same thing in the, in the strength conditioning world where 90% of the time, like your reps should be on point. Like I don't want people missing reps. I want them to look good. Like I, I there shouldn't be too much spinal movement here and, and like shimmying there uh, and then 10% of the time like yeah we have people sometimes as a coach we need we just need to learn to shut up and let and let our clients and athletes figure shit out and then and not over coach and let them feel what a bad rep feels like so they know that that's a bad rep so then they won't emulate that in the future I, I like that concept then too it's right if if somebody doesn't know uh, what the wrong thing is, they, they can't necessarily correct it then either. So being able to like, oh, yeah, I, that didn't feel right. What did yeah. They might not know what they did initially, but they right. just knew that it was wrong. So bringing that, I tell people, awareness first. Like if you're not aware of how you're moving, there's not a damn thing I can do for you. Like yeah. <laughs> we have to show you like, or you have to be able to feel that movement, be aware of it. Uh, but the 90-10 analogy, that's a really interesting thing thing to think about yeah and i think uh you know to, to give credit i think i stole that from brett Contreras. like I, I won't take credit for it but um at least he's the one that i mean the 90 percent rule the 90 yeah. percent rule in nutrition is like i mean i don't know who said that first but yeah. um well it, it but, still goes back to like the 80 20 principle like pareto's yeah, principle Pareto. yep. i mean Absolutely. so everybody makes their own now because everybody wants to do something different so they'll do like 88 12 or 92 oh, or whatever like yeah but somebody's <laughs> gonna do 90 10 whatever it is but yeah same kind of concept like you do most of the stuff right, you're going to be all right. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, Tony, I, I, I don't know uh, if you if you knew this, but uh, I'm an Ithaca grad. Oh, snap. All right. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I heard that you're, you're a Cortland guy. I am. So I don't, I don't know if we should be talking. Yeah. I, I, I wanted you know, to bring this up. Admittedly, admittedly I, did not, uh, <laughs> I did not play sports at Cortland. So okay. by the time I got to Cortland, my, my collegiate baseball career was over. <laughs> so I basically just went to Cortland to get my degree. Like I didn't go to one Cortica jug. Uh, I, I was not. So people who are listening, like the Cortica jug is the this big game Ithaca versus Cortland football. It's like this big. It's like they call it the biggest little game. In yeah, the country, it's, it's a really big uh, game for division. It's three. a shit show for college students to get drunk at like 10 a.m. in the morning. Ten, and uh, uh, the 10, if if not earlier, <laughs> it, it, it starts like the night before and just yeah. everybody continues through. But I yeah. but I didn't go to one. I was at Cortland for three years and I I did not go to one. So I, I I wouldn't. I went from 99 to 02. Okay. So I was uh, it was a while ago. <laughs> well, no, because I, I started in 04. That's why I was curious to see yeah, if there's any overlap. All right. And my hometown is nearby. Like I'm my my hometown is 10 minutes from Ithaca. Oh, nice. That's why yeah, I had so to bring that up. Just uh... I grew up now. Yeah. Awesome. So we, we know. So we're not really enemies. Like I I'm not. I don't have any like red dragon uh, uh, <laughs> or anything like that. So all right. Uh, all right. <laughs> That's fair. So we're still on the same page here. We can continue to talk. I yes, I, I had to bring so it up. Fine. I thought it'd be we're interesting. Still friends. Uh, actually, so here, Tony, then what are you geeking out on right now? Like what, what's really in your wheelhouse that you're just like diving into, uh, want to kind of either learn more about or 
help well, express more even to other people. I was I was having this conversation with a, a buddy of mine either yesterday or the day before, and that now that I, I have a six month old at home, so I feel like my time to do any continuing ad has been very diminished. So I feel like I've gotten stupider because <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'm not I'm I, I'm doing a really poor job of like keeping up on you know all the all the stuff that's sent my way, ebooks and research reviews and digital products. I I I'm my computer like I have it's like a gold mine of information and I'm like okay yeah I'm gonna get to it I'm gonna get to it and I just rather go to bed. <laughs> Here, let, let's go off this then for a second. Like, yeah, how yeah. have you learned to maybe prioritize things? So any form of health, whether it be like your movement practices, whether it be your yeah. sleep, like how have you really changed? Uh, and what are you doing to really just Keep yourself on the ball as much as you can with everything. Now that I've had, now that I have an infant at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I think you know, one of the greatest things is that my my partner, my wife, is is very much into the health and fitness lifestyle too. So we're we're definitely on the same page, and that if we if neither of us get our exercise in, uh, there's going to be issues. <laughs> no, so, my wife and I are the same. Um, way. I understand this so, completely. Yeah, you know, we there's sacrifices, right? So like, you know, she was on. She was on maternity leave for the first three months of, of Julian's life. And I can count numerous times where we would just put him in the car seat. We'd drive to Boston University to the strength conditioning facility there. We'd bring him upstairs into the facility where there was like a lot of music playing. And we would work out. And we would just alternate where I do a set. She watches him. She does a set. Blah, blah, blah. And it was like this this little dance that we were doing with, 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 our, with our infant. And... Um, you know, in, in the mornings now that now that you know he's six months old now, so she's been going. She's been back at work for three months, but in the mornings is when she usually goes. So she gets up early, goes to the gym. You know, I'll get up a little bit after her because she'll feed him. She'll go to the gym, and then I I'm daddy daycare in the mornings, so she can go to the gym and then get ready for work. And you know, thankfully we're we're in a good spot where we can afford to have childcare. We have a nanny that comes in every day at noon, so that helps. Um, as far as my work schedule uh keeping on keeping on uh point with my writing and writing programs and then i have to be at the gym by x time during the day um so i think you know the fact that we just we prioritize our health and fitness works i mean certainly uh we're not as uh i'm not going i'm not hitting the gym six days a week or anything like that anymore but i'm still i'm still going my normal schedule four days a week um you know, I, I, you know, sleep, we're both, we're both very adamant on, uh, going to bed early. <laughs> so we, we went to bed pretty early before Julian. Uh, and, and now it's like, he, he goes to bed and we're like, all right, we're going to bed. <laughs> uh, so not that that's a sacrifice, but, um, you know, I think again, we're just, we're just, we're each other's, uh, um, backbone or, uh, you know, co-partner and, and that we, we, we complement each other very well in that, in that regard. So that's, but it seems like you communicate well about it. And that's the important part is like, you well, guys know what's, in, but you know, what's important yeah. for each other. And so you're going to make it work. Well, to help she's each other a psychologist. Out. So, you know, talking things out is kind of what she does. <laughs> so I really have no choice to, to talk it out with her. Um, but you know, honestly, like my, I hit my heaviest pull in about three years, two weeks ago. Um, I hit, I hit 560. So what's, and, what's your body weight at right now? My body weight, I hover around 200, 205. So, okay. um, that's so closing that's in kinda, on it then. That's kind of home base for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that 600 pound deadlift is 40 pounds away. Like it's, I'm, I'm very close. 
you know, a little bit of a setback last week. I, I pulled my right adductor uh, deadlifting, which is the first time that's ever happened. Uh, I went to set up for a set and um, not even a, a very heavy load, and I just felt it twinge, and I was like, ah. Um, so, but I, but I live in a, an area where I have access to really good, uh, physical therapists and, and friends. So I, uh, I took them up on their offers to get treatment for free. So I was like, yeah, I'm taking you up on it. I'm showing up. And, um, but you know, I mean, it's been business as usual. I mean, I can't say that I've, I've had to alter my training schedule too much. Um, I'm just a little bit more tired when I go into my workouts, <laughs> and, uh, and admittedly, I do need to do a better job of, you know, doing my warm up and you know, make, getting my stretching in, and uh, you know, certainly it wouldn't hurt if I, you know, th- at night when I watch Game of Thrones, I could probably just do my my more of my stretching that might help, so I have a little bit more uh, time efficient. One of the things you talked about in there was uh, your writing, and uh-huh. I'm curious, like at this point, you've done a ton of writing like what is it that still really uh two things what is it that still really drives you with your writing and how or like what do you do to uh continue to find new things to new topics basically yeah so i am a self-described introvert i'm an introvert through and through so i think introverts tend to gravitate more towards the introspective like time alone uh, you know, that's how we re-energize is being, not being around people. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm coaching, I kind of have to be on when I, when I travel to present, I kind of have to be on, I can't just be like, Oh, Hey, uh, I, I have to be on. So in that entail, I mean, not that I'm like this raw, raw, like crazy rambunctious coach or anything, but, um, certainly the writing is, is kind of me time is Tony time and it, and it just allows me to kind of be in my own thoughts and it is therapeutic and um, you know I never if man if you would have if you would have told me back when I was in high school that I was gonna be a writer um, and I don't really consider myself a writer I'm just a, a strength coach that can that can write coherent sentences like I'm not a writer <laughs> um, but I've done a fair amount of it over the years and you know I've gotten better at it but um, you know, it's just been part of my schedule. Like before Julian was born, Lisa would go to work at eight in the morning and the door would close. And from eight to noon was kind of like my writing time. So that's when I would write a blog post or maybe something was due for T Nation that I needed to send in or whatever. Now it's a little bit more tricky uh, in that uh, nap time in the morning is pretty uh, sporadic. Like some mornings is two and a half hours and it's awesome. Other mornings is 45 minutes. I'm like, fuck. And I, you know, and I'm just like, you know, so, um, you know, it, the, it's still a priority and, um, I feel way better when I actually get something written. Like yesterday, uh, I, I was just tired. So I actually took a power nap in the afternoon, which I haven't done in years, uh, but I needed it. And, uh, I, I got up and I started something, but I put it up today and I just, just creatively, I just, it just keeps me on point. And, um, as far as like where I draw, um, inspirations for blog posts. Uh, you know, I use my clients quite a bit. Like they, they may ask me a question in any particular day. Like, oh, how much weight should I use? Um, so why not write an article on it? Like, how do how do I describe? Okay, how do we p- choose the, your loading? Because um, I know mer- there are many other people ask the same question. Or I read an article from somebody, and I was like, I kind of like where they're going with that, but I kind of have my thoughts on it. So here's my spin, and then of course I reference them, and you know I write. So and that's the thing when it comes to writing. I, I you know when I travel or some some people email like, hey, how do I 
how do I write stuff or I'm, or they're intimidated because nothing they, they say is new. Um, nothing I say is new, but it, but what, what does make it unique is it's my voice. It's my perspective. It's my experiences. So yeah, it is, is, is writing about uh, squat technique or squat mistakes new? No. Uh, but I certainly have the cues that I like that have worked for me or, or assessments that I've used that work for me. Uh, you know, that, that is new. Um, and, um, so I, I would I would definitely encourage people who are into writing to not be discouraged by the fact that you're not going to write really anything that hasn't already been said, but it just hasn't been said in your voice. So uh, that's that's an important point to make. Um, and then just sticking to a schedule. Like my my more creative times are in the mornings. Uh, if you ask me, it's tough to come home after a day of coaching or an afternoon of coaching for four, five, six, seven hours, and then, okay, time to write an article. Like, that is not going to happen. <laughs> and so mornings tend to be better for me, but certainly some people are, are night writers, and uh, that's, that's, that's when their creative juices are, are flowing at, at, a, at, a, at a higher point. So, um, so figuring out where that is for each person is, you know, where it is an important conversation to have. But, um, and, then, and then also just, just doing it, like, um, I, don't, I think you do a fair amount of writing yourself, Nick. But yeah, um, I, try, I I love writing though too, and yeah. I think that's what it's just it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> and that's uh, and you're doing a podcast and video. Like I hate doing videos. Like I I much prefer writing than I like being on camera, um, and that's just me. But uh, you know, people always ask me, they'll call, how do I get started writing? And I, I and I it's so unsexy to say it, but it's like just fucking do it. Like stop emailing me and the 10 other people you're probably writing the same email to about what you need to do to start writing and then just do it like start i mean i when i did it back in what 2005 2006 uh you know i would probably 10 people read my blog but i just wrote every day and i got better and as you get better at writing people you get more engaged you, you you're more engaged you're more authentic you have a better voice you have your grammar's better your your flow is better like you know i i i've I think people gravitate to my writing because it's very conversationalist. Like I write how I talk. Um, and it's not like point one, point two, point three. Like I'll, I'll throw in pop culture references. I swear. Um, you know, I, 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 I swear, you know, it's just people like it. There's cause it's authentic. Um, and you the only swearing that. thing. That's actually funny to me because yeah. I, I found like, I, I'm putting some finishing edits like on, on a book that I'm writing right now too. And it's one of those like, Sometimes I recognized, like, especially at the time of writing, like I was holding back and I was like changing a word because like, I, I felt like I should keep it cleaner if you will. Yeah. But then it's yeah. like, it just, it made me pause like when I was writing and I realized now like, all right, that's not a good thing. It's like, if you just want to say shit and just like it flows in there, we'll just, just put it in there. And that's an important point. It's got to fit like uh, a good friend of mine, Brian Cron, who's an, who's like one of the best fitness writers out there. He was actually my editor at T Nation when he was at T Nation. Uh, and he's he's always been, I mean, he doesn't mind swearing and writing. Like, he, he swears in his writing, but he's not egregious about it. And I don't think I am either. It's not like I'm dropping F-bombs every other sentence. It's got to fit. Like, if you if, if it doesn't add, I mean, because, again, there, there's something to be said about a properly placed F-bomb that makes it humorous, uh, it makes it more engaging. But it's got to fit. Like, it can't just be an F-bomb for the sake of tossing in an F-bomb. Um, so, and that just comes with practice. Um, you can't, you can't force it. Um, you know, but, and certainly there's just going to be that 
certain percentage of the population where that's just not their jam. Like they don't, they don't like swearing. You know, I've had a number of people email me in the comments or separately in email. They're like, Oh, I wanted to share your article, but you had to drop an F bomb. So I'm not going to share it. And so they, they, they email slowly people that don't swear too. So read their well, stuff. And if that's you fine. Want. Yeah. But they, but then they're like, but then they're kind of giving me grief for it. And they're like, they email me for the sole purpose of it. Well, I'm not sharing your article because you swore <laughs> like they couldn't just move on with their life and just not share it. But they had to email me to tell me. Yeah. And then I'm just like, and I, I used to just write back. What do you want me to do? I'm sorry. You feel that way. It wasn't my intent to insult you. I didn't, I didn't say your name. And then, drop an f-bomb or whatever i wasn't calling you out so i'm sorry you feel this way um and honestly if you can't if you can't see the bigger message i'm trying to to convey uh then sorry go fuck yourself like i mean i don't say that but honestly <laughs> like if you can't see the bigger message i'm trying to convey like i remember there was one article i wrote on female fitness and how i like because i'm a big champion of empowering females to lift weights and like the the you know performance-based goals and all that stuff and i know there's one i wrote where i dropped a couple f-bombs and he's like well i wanted to share this with my with my female friends or my wife but you swore so i you know and he was he was being pretty flippant about like passive aggressive with his language i'm like if you dude if you can't see the bigger message i'm trying to relay here and like giving them good information because i wrote one f-bomb then i'm sorry like my bad like that's on you that's not me so, um, I find the power I'm, that people hold to certain words though, then because there, there are other things where, uh, I, I'm trying to think of some of them, but it's just like very simple everyday words where people use them. Like even just things like can't and won't like all these negatives, people aren't upset necessarily about something like that. And they bring all this thought negativity into it, but you just use a swear word that just is conveying a message differently. And now all yeah. of a sudden they're completely twisted around that. Yeah, and, and and that's that's I just caution uh, people who are new to writing or trying to get their name out there that I mean you gotta there is a little bit of feel involved with writing and swear I mean certainly you gotta know who you're writing for so if I'm writing an article for Men's Health I'm not doing that uh, T Nation there's a little bit more colorful language my blog I don't give a shit I'm gonna say what I want to say it's my website it's my blog so you know you're you're here I didn't force you to come to my website. Um, but again, I'm not, I don't feel I'm, I'm, uh, overly egregious with my swearing. Like, I mean, yes, I, I, I drop F bombs and say shit and, you know, make very light sexual innuendos if that, like I, that's a line that I, I, I'm definitely careful with. Cause I do, I do speak a lot to the female side of the spectrum. So, I mean, I don't want to be, a uh, uh, come across as like some jerk that's going to be throwing out all this sexual innuendo stuff. But, um, but certainly, I mean, every writer's got to figure that out for themselves. And you, don't, you only figure that out by actually writing. <laughs> um, and it doesn't have like, to. I, oh, sorry, I was going to say, like, I can read your stuff and it's just like, oh, I'm just talking with one of my buddies. Like, just the conversation. Like you said, it's yes. it, the conversation yes. obviously in my head as I'm reading it. But it just comes across that way. It's not like you have to make the changes. Or like I said before when I was writing, I had to pause to think about it. It's not like I'm looking at it and I'm pausing because that stands out so egregiously again. Yeah, no, it's just yeah. it's part of the normal flow of the article. Yeah. And, you know, certainly, you know, people have to figure out, um, I was, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know what I was going to say. Hold on. It will come right back to me. Um, what was that? I was saying something about men's health and teen nation. Uh, I lost it. Damn it, Nick. Oh, and we, we, well, there were innuendos in there. There was 
people were. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. All right no, well, I, 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 I get anime when I start talking about writing. I, hopefully, I'm not boring people by uh, talking about fitness writing. But, I enjoy it. So. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, a lot of people. I mean, it's kind of one of the. It's kind of one of the things you can do. Like, if you get good at it, like you're going to get a fellowship. You're going to get a following. Um, you're going to get hopefully. Uh, chances to be quoted in men's health or maybe write uh, uh, an article where you get actually paid for it um you know and uh, if people and i think it is a, a skill that is lacking nowadays where people aren't good writers and you, and whether it's emailing or whatever and that's the thing to consider that's what i was going to say is that writing isn't just writing an article it could be emails so you know writing an email is writing writing a, a tweet is writing writing a facebook status is writing um, you know, there's a fantastic book I wrote. It's called Everybody Writes. Um, I forget the name of the, the author. It's a female author. It's so good I forgot the name of the author. But the title of the book is called Everybody Writes. Uh, and kind of the, one of the big umbrella themes about the book is that you don't have to be writing novels to be considered a writer. Uh, you know, you know, good writing does come via writing letters or writing emails or writing a, a, a properly uh, worded tweet. Uh, that all that is practice. So, um, you know, I think people think, oh, I'm not a writer if I'm not writing a book. Well, that's bullshit because I've, I've never written a book. Um, you know, I, I'll, I, I do have about, what, 2,000 blog posts, <laughs> but, uh, which could be a novel. But, um, you know, that's just, that, I don't know. That's, it's, I could talk about writing all day. And, I, I'm, and again, not that I'm considering myself like a, a phenomenal writer, but, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting topic. And one that can be talked about forever. But, but no, that's a cool way to bring it up, though, too. Like you said, everybody writes. I mean, whether we're saying the name of the book or just in general, because, yeah, uh, we emailed back and forth just recently. Like, so that still is communication. I mean, yep. but I like the idea of especially like a tweet like you have to be dead on with what you're writing if you want to have impact yeah. with it. Like, Well, you're forced to pick yeah. your words wisely with a tweet. Like you only have, what, 140 characters, but... Um, and that's, Maybe that's why way. I don't like tweets. I, I want to just express myself no, and a keep way, going. It's a way to learn how to edit yourself because yeah. I know I've had to learn the hard way. You know, a lot of the process of me becoming a better writer is when I sent in something to Teen Nation or Men's Health or Bodybuilding.com. I was always curious to see like what they changed or what they asked to change because it was always like, here's what I sent in and here's the finished product. Like what what changed? You know, so that was that was important for me to. Uh, learn that because that because then I learn what to you know gate you know gauge things to the audience because again how you write for one website could be different from the other um, but certainly when, when when you're talking about readability uh, of a blog post or an article especially nowadays it's even more important like because people's attention spans are maybe two minutes <laughs> uh, and if you're not engaging or getting right to the point and if you're too wordy. Uh, people are just going to go on to the next, they're going to click on to the next thing. So you got, you have to be, I mean, a guy that does that beautifully is John Romanello. Like that, that guy is one of the more engaging writers out there. I mean, he, you want to talk about a guy who uses colorful language very well. Um, <laughs> it's him. He doesn't, he doesn't, he gets, he doesn't care, but that's him. Like anyone who's, who's been around John in person knows that he is very much what you, what you, what you read is exactly what you get in person. Um, and that, that is, it's important. Like, I think you, you gotta be, I think the more authentic you can be with your writing and even just being a coach, I think people who are more authentic to themselves and not faking it or being something they're not. Um, I think that, that in of itself is an important lesson for anyone, whether you're writing, coaching, anything, just being authentic is huge. 
So I'm curious then, like, okay, you said like 2,000 plus blog posts here. Like, what is something, or if there's anything recently, like, that you've changed your mind on, like, that you maybe wrote about 10 years ago where it's like, you know what, I'm not really on board with that anymore? Yeah, um, there's a few things. Like, I think this whole idea of symmetry uh, and, and like, uh, textbook technique, like, I wrote, a, I wrote a post on this not too long ago on, you know, there's a time in my career where when I coached somebody to squat, it was like, okay, you need symmetrical stance. Feet got to be lined up, toes got to be a certain way, squat. Um, and that I don't agree with at all anymore um, just because I, I've, I've gotten a better idea of functional anatomy and assessment and understanding that people are just different <laughs> and uh, they got different hip structures and femoral neck lengths and acetabulum pointing in different ways and, um, you know, it's just everyone's different. So, uh, you know, taking more of an asymmetrical approach uh, is um, – oh, actually, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm purposely going asymmetrical, but I'm saying I, I, I'm not afraid to nudge people into accepting their asymmetries um, and, and, and being that that's a good thing. I'd rather – we could make the case that, you know, forcing someone to, to, to assume a, a symmetrical stance is square peg and round hole where – because uh, if their anatomy is telling you one thing and you're forcing something else, that could be the issue. Um, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but, um, you know, that's certainly something that, uh, I've, I've changed my mind on as, uh, as the years have gone by. Well, I would add to it then it's still very person dependent because there's sure. certain asymmetries where it's like, shit, like this, there's something wrong here. Like we have to clean yep. this up. But yep. then, like you said, if it's a couple degrees, just uh, a little out on one side, not much on the other and everything else still looks proper and then all of a sudden you bring them back into a neutral stance maybe they're left out towing during a squat and you bring them back into neutral and now they're getting a ton of hip impingement well it's okay maybe right now you keep them out there you work on the hip a little bit and but it's it's going to be this balance and playing with it like is anybody ever going to hit perfection on their symmetry well you're never going to notice if they are like it's sure just, it's, it's not going to happen so and i think this comes back to the same uh the 90 10 principle we talked about get it yeah. pretty, get, yeah. get it pretty good and once you have everything pretty good, as long as they're moving pretty well and they're not in pain and it's not like making you cringe watch anything, then everything's probably yeah, going to be okay. And that's the key word you just use is pain. Like if there's pain present, obviously something is awry and we need to address it and, or figure it out, like peel back the onion and like, okay, what is causing that? Um, you know, that of course is important. Um, but then, you know, when you're going, when I, when I take someone through assessment, I'm, I'm using so many other factors. Like I'm, lo I'm looking at their range of motion. I'm looking at the quality of that range of motion. I'm looking at the effort of that range of motion. I'm looking at if there is there pain or not, all that comes into play. Um, and then, and then I, I'm very much a fan of, uh, assess, reassess. So if I see something as wonky, wonky or not great, whether it's like looking at their overhead or the over or bringing their arms overhead. You know, if that doesn't look great to begin with, okay, what is it? Is it a positional breathing thing? Is it a soft tissue thing? So let's figure that out, right? So let's implement one thing. Okay, let's work on positional breathing, get some 3D expansion, like work on, you know, getting that full expansion outward and sideways and if, and then reassess. If I see an improvement, boom, awesome, let, let's do it. Um, you know, same thing with lower body stuff. I can't tell you how many times people have come in uh, – and they say, oh, you know, I'm tight. I've always, I'm, I'm, I'm mobilizing this. I'm stretching that. Uh, and they've been doing it for years and have seen no improvement. And they think they're tight or stiff or whatever. And they've worked with previous trainers or, or physical therapists who said they're tight and the same thing. 
And that, and I, I would argue that a lot of the times now is they're they're unstable. They lack stability, and that and the and the brain is putting on the brakes because they are unstable. So that area is tight or stiff because the brain's telling them to okay, put on the brakes. You're unstable. We don't want you to hurt yourself. So if I get if I do again some positional breathing drills or get them to do some core exercises and turn shit on like a dead bug. I love dead bugs. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've assessed somebody's hip range of motion, whether it's internal external range of motion or whatever. Add some tension. Add some stability. And reassess. Almost always, I'll see an improvement in the range of motion, uh, and and their and their ability and their and less effort to get into that range of motion. And that to me is a stability issue. So a lot of times people are barking up the wrong tree, thinking they have to stretch, they have to stretch this, thrash that, mobilize this. When no, they need to stay. They're unstable, <laughs> uh, and they're they're this protective tension. So the reason why they they feel tight is the body, the nervous system telling them, whoa, hold on. Um, so I, I see your head shaking. So that's a good thing. You, you tend to agree 100% on this. Awesome. Like, good. Oh, I, and I can't get over. And, and what I always go into it with people is, are you tight or are you taught too? There's a very yeah. big difference. Yeah. I can make any muscle taut if I throw through far enough of a range of motion, it doesn't mean that it's tight. Uh, so that's an important factor, but yes, the nervous system, I'm, I'm getting to the point too, where it's like, I give people actually fewer and fewer stretches and it's just like, let's get your nervous system actually firing to the muscles that it needs to be, not sure. just the yep. prime movers. Let's get all the stabilizers turned on. And like you said, the test retest like that, you have to do that. Otherwise you're just pissing in the wind. You have no idea what, if you did what you did, if it actually did anything. Yeah. Uh, so and, the important, and the important point here too, is like as a strength coach, like I have to recognize and respect scope of practice. So my, my assess and reassess is a bit different than yours where you can probably add much more manual therapy, um, whether it's grass and right. ART, dry needling, whatever. Like I can't really get my hands on people. Like I, when I coach them, I'm, I'm pretty hands on, but my assess reassess is more like, okay, let's test your range of motion here. Um, let's add some stability or breathing drills or add in some tension in some form or fashion. You know, honestly, like adding load is actually one of the easiest ways to uh, get people more stable. Like, you know, if, if their body weight squat stinks and I just have them hold a plate or a goblet squat and it improves, that's stability. Um, that's just getting their core to fire, getting better positions. Like position is huge. Um, you know, I'm not... Uh, you know, I like people like to argue what's more important, you know, mobility, stability. Uh, and Mike Reinold is one, the first one that said this to me is like, it, that doesn't matter until you, until you address alignment. Um, Cause if you, if you stretch somebody who's misaligned, you're going to create more, in a, more uh, instability. And if you strengthen somebody who's misaligned, you're going to create more of an imbalance. So a lot of times, like, you know, you, it's like, the, the easiest thing here is hamstrings. So people always talk about their, oh, my hamstrings are tight. Um, <laughs> and you touch their hamstrings and it's like they pass with flying colors. But the reason why they feel tight is they're in so much an excessive anterior pelvic tilt that their, their hamstrings are on stretch all the time. So you, you get them, you nudge a little bit more posterior pelvic tilt, a.k.a. Okay, maybe let's hammer some dead bugs, you know, to get the anterior core to fire, get that pelvis in a better position, and then we can worry about whether it's stability, mobility, and what we need to work on. Um, but I, but I tend to be more along the lines of a, it's a stability thing for a lot of people. What was perceived as a lack of mobility um, is just because they they're just really unstable or, or weak, uh, and they just got to get a little bit stronger. And the other part of that, now just thinking about it, 
I don't want to get extra motion if I can't if I can't have somebody stabilize it anyway. Like there's sure. no reason to if you're going to stretch something out and they can't stabilize in the limited range that they already have. Well, why am I going to go further into a range of motion yeah. that they already don't have? They got They got to control it, right? Yeah. They have to control the range of motion. So you know that's that's your that's your prototypical yoga yoga person, uh, gymnast, ballet, baseball players are notorious. Like they have all this crazy ranges of motion and very hypermobile. But they they can't control it. So and they and of course they like to stretch and mobilize because that's what they're good at. <laughs> and uh, you know, and a lot of times you have to kind of pump the brakes on them and be like, well, uh, you don't really need that. Uh, you got plenty of that. Like it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like great, it it allows you to do this this great and cool stuff. But if you're in pain. Um, and it's, it's this, this revolving vicious cycle of you training, stretching, mobilizing, getting hurt, training, stretching, mobilizing. Uh, something's got to change here. Um, I'm not saying that we, we can't do mobility work. It's just you got to do mobility work in the right areas. Like you, I don't know. It's just, it, but it goes back to that per, like individual thing. So that, that everyone's a bit, a bit different. Um, and we just got to figure out that, that that's the whole point of assessment. So um yeah, I know I went out another diatribe, but... <laughs> no, that's good. This is good. Uh, and something you said in there about baseball players. I'm curious about yeah. this because this is something, uh, for me, like more just of a general outpatient orthopedics. Like, Oftentimes, people have pretty good external rotation. It's always... I feel like people always try and get into more external rotation, more external rotation, of the shoulder specifically. Yeah. Internal rotation usually just sucks though most of the time. I'm curious, like, do you see that a lot, especially with overhead athletes or just if you're working with like general population? Yeah. And a lot of that's positional. Like I know back in 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, if you came in a crusty sports performance, you would have seen us doing a lot of sleeper stretches, using the word GERD a lot, G-I-R-D, glenohumeral internal rotation deficit. Uh, you know, now that's, we don't even, like we haven't, I mean, I've been out of there for almost two years now, um, and there were, there was a span of two or three years before that that we we just shit can sleeper stretching, um, just I because don't, we don't. Yeah, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, please, please continue. Um, and we just found that a lot of it is positioning, right? So those guys are stuck in a lot of extension. They have that scissor position, ribs flaring out. So just working on positioning that in of itself is going to open up a lot of things as far as like access to that more internal rotation we're looking for. But also we have to respect that lack of internal rotation on throwing side is a predictive asymmetry of the sport. So it doesn't necessarily mean bad where it becomes problematic. And this is something Mike Grinnell will talk about is if you are measuring total range of motion, external plus internal, if there's a loss of a certain amount of degrees of that in, at, at the end of the season, that's problematic. It isn't the fact that they just lost internal rotation, but if they also lost external along with that, so their total range of motion goes down, then that's the red flag. It isn't just losing internal rotation because that that's that's going to happen in, at the end of a long season. Like that is inevitable. Any pitcher that pitches a professionally college like that pitches that many innings yeah. they're going they're going to lose internal rotation of the shoulder um but it's that total range of motion that is the the bigger predictor of a red flag well i was going to bring this back to then even like i agree i the sleeper stretch i think it just causes so much impingement and stuff like yeah well, most I'm, people do it wrong and, and that's like, yeah it's hard just, enough just cramming thumbs yes. like there's just other stuff that we can do that's going to be a little bit more uh efficient 
Uh, and there's just there's just better things like let's let how about we actually work on improving upward rotation of the scapula or you know like or getting more protraction like reaching because people were stuck in extension have a hard time reaching and getting that that protraction that serratus to fire so that to me is or or even like when we do talk about rotator cuff training it isn't just band 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 work it's like rhythmic stabilizations and like making it a little bit more sport specific and um, it isn't just about forcing someone into more internal rotation um you know i just think that that gird was thrown around a lot back like five six years ago um and, and thankfully many more people are getting a little bit more aware that it's normal um in, in the pitching population and, and especially on the, the dominant side it's completely normal but that total range of motion is more important and that could be soft tissue i mean you know it, there's a lot of other factors that come into play but yeah that sleeper stretch is old school well, where I was going to take that too then is like, uh, we were just talking about nervous system firing. So like the tight yeah. versus top versus, and I think that's part of it too. Like as, especially an overhead athlete, you're still only using certain muscles. Like other ones are being neglected. And that's why the protraction, like getting other muscles to turn on, that might be all that's necessary. It doesn't necessarily be that you have to get into these internal rotation stretches to yeah. actually get it. And I think it's just, all right, get some of the different internal rotators firing, uh, to allow you to be stable through that entire motion yep. again. And even taking that point a step further, uh, this will really blow uh, baseball players out of the water and, and coaches out of the water because and parents of baseball players out of the water. Um, and this is a quote that I stole from Eric Schoenberg, who's a brilliant physical therapist that we worked with a lot at Crusty Sports Performance here just outside Boston. Um, you know, because everyone talks about arm care with baseball players. Like, oh, what... A, what arm care uh, workouts are you going to do with the work on the arm or the rotator cuff? And Eric was like, well, the second we only throw with our arm, then we'll focus on arm care strategies. But, you know, like, and that was brilliant because you don't just throw a baseball with the arm. The whole body is involved with throwing No, the ones that do, they're the ones that tear everything. <laughs> like, that's yes. why they're getting Tommy John when they're, like, so, 12 years but old. honestly – like, how about get an ass? Like, that's gonna that's gonna protect your arm. Like, get get it, get some fucking glutes, right? Get strong. Like, and again, strong is subjective, but let's let's get a pair of glutes, uh, and that that's gonna be your arm care. Like, <laughs> you know, like, and they're they're like, what? Um, and it's is yeah, but it, it makes perfect sense because you that's you know, like, yeah, I loved it. All right, Tony. So we're coming up on our time here, and a couple of last questions. One of the things I always ask people who come on the show is who would you want to hear on this podcast and what is it that you would either like want to ask them specifically or just hear them go to town talking about? Oh boy, man. Um, you know, I, a guy that I, I, I mean, he's a good friend of mine um, and you might have already had him on there, but Lee Boyce I think is a, a really uh, great coach. He, he's located up in Toronto. Um, you know, he's just a guy that I think is very introspective and um uh, you know, just puts out a lot of great content. I just wish more people like listen to his stuff because he, he and plus he's just a brick shit house. Yeah, um, he's, a, he's a big boy, <laughs> and, and uh, you know he he just has a lot of great things to say. But uh, yeah, he he's someone I I in that I that I enjoy. I mean, he and I do converse via email and stuff. But um, you know, he's the guy that I think would be a a good guest on the on the podcast. Well, what's something just, maybe? What's something maybe that like. You guys maybe have gone back and forth, but like you think that he hasn't maybe gotten out that you th want to hear him just like, hey, really be able to express with people. Um, you know, he's he's honestly really good at he's he's a very he's like a hybrid kind of guy. Like he he has an athletic background because he was in track and field. 
Um, he's been down the meathead that rope track too. So uh, he just he just has a. I, I'm a simple guy. Like I I I respect coaches who keep things simple, and I like I like hearing other coaches talk about that. How they, I mean, I I love just hearing other coaches talk about their cueing or how they break down regressions of exercises. And I, I just think he has a he just has a very uh, cool and candid way of, of doing that that uh, that not a lot of coaches have. And um, you know, I just think more people need to hear that hear that message. Excellent, excellent. I'll have to reach out to him and uh, yeah, see if we can get on and talk some about that. But Tony, in closing, like, where can the listeners find out more about you, everything that you're working on, what you have coming up as far as whether it's events, anything like that? Yeah. So home base is TonyJohnCore.com, and that is website, blog, links to articles, everything. Um, you know, my there's there's a couple workshops that I do. Like one I do that's very popular is with Dean Somerset, uh, and that's a complete shoulder and hip blueprint. Uh, we'll be in Orlando in October, we're doing one in Boston in November. And then, um, I'm actually doing one this weekend with my wife, strong body, strong mind. And like I said, my wife is a psychologist. She's a doctor of sports psychology. So, uh, you know, we spend a day, she spends the morning talking about, uh, mindset stuff and how to better match your assessments and programming to the, to where your clients are mentally. Um, and then I speak to more like exercise technique assessment and stuff like that. Um, and then, and coming soon is going to be uh, Brian Cron and I are going to be working on a project geared towards the 40 plus lifter. Um, we're both over 40. Um, I feel we both have a little bit of insight on how guys our age should be training to, you know, be a brick shit house and be strong, but also move well, um, look good, um, you know, and all the stuff that guys our age are still interested in doing. So. Um, be on the lookout for that. I think that's going to be. If we, I think we're going to do a good job, and I, I, I will be able to hopefully put out a, a, a solid program for guys to follow. And um, yeah, that's about it. Like, uh, and then just trying to make sure my my son continues to <laughs> uh, grow. He just had a six month uh, uh, up or checkup today, so we got the thumbs up. So he's. We're good to go. Now we have to be back for three months. So there you go. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, the first six uh, months is every month. You got to just get in there. <laughs> yeah, it's no joke. Yeah. Uh, well, excellent, Tony. I mean, make sure everybody go check out TonyGeneralCore.com. Interested in any of the workshops? Anything coming up? It sounds like it's going to be some awesome yeah. stuff. So yeah, thank you again Great. so much for your Thanks, time. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you. Mm-hmm.